Next on Careering Out of Control podcast with me, Will Rowe, we add some international flair as I speak to the fantastic Angela Boss. Bossy Angela, as she prefers to be known, or just Bossy, I believe, uh, is a Senior Marketing Communications Manager at Microsoft. She is a uh, Women in Technology Lead on the Women at Microsoft Board. Her background is working within the Microsoft Unified Communication space. Uh, she's a public speaker. She's all over LinkedIn. Uh, and uh, on top of that, she's also president of the Microsoft Speakers Club uh, within Microsoft for Toastmasters. She's a diversity and inclusion champion and has got some fascinating insights into that. So I really hope that you enjoy episode six of Careering Out of Control with Angela Boss. And today I would like to welcome Angela Boss to the Careering Out of Control podcast, or Bossy Angela, as she prefers to be called uh, on many platforms, it seems. Angela, welcome, welcome, welcome to uh, the Careering Out of Control podcast. I'm absolutely over the moon to, to have you to have you on the show. Thank you, Will. Uh, thank you for your enthusiastic welcome. I really appreciate that. And it's a real honor to be speaking with you and your fantastic audience today. All, all four or five of them, you know. <laughs> Lovely. Um, well, look, I just wanted to, uh, to 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 once again say say thank you because uh, we don't we haven't spoken many times before, but we have interacted a fair bit on on, on social media. Um, but for the, for those uh, of uh, for those of us who who haven't heard of you and what you do, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and 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 sort of what you do for a living? Yeah, sure. So. My name is Angela Boss, quite easy to remember when we coined the, the term bossy, which I've become known for, not because of any particular demeanor, just because of, of surname, <laughs> of course, right? So my current role is a, well, as we like to call it at Microsoft, a very generic term being a marketing communications manager. I actually sit within our experiential events team at Microsoft um, and I actually get involved in lots of different things. It can be hard to completely define what I do, but one of the core things I'm responsible for at the moment is actually driving a program of executive-inspired experiences, which are actually designed for our awesome business decision makers. And, um, and I actually do specific things that are targeted like executive briefings. And that's the simplest way I can describe it. So essentially, I provide that bridge between marketing activity and our sales opportunities. Okay, but and, and you've not you've not always been in marketing, have you? Uh, no, not quite. Uh, I've actually been in my role for the last fifteen months, but over the last twenty years, I've actually been in predominantly technical roles. I started out with a computer uh, degree in computer science. I actually worked as a web developer, a software engineer, a tester, service delivery engineer. And for about half of my career, I was actually what we what you would call either a pre-sales engineer or a technical specialist. They were very similar in terms of what we did and essentially specializing within the uni unified communications uh, area. So that could have been anything from voice, video, messaging. Um, and uh, that was actually across five different major tele telecommunications organizations, um, obviously the last of which being Microsoft. And I managed to do that across three different countries to date. So Australia, originally where I'm from, a few years in the US, and I've been in the UK now for just over five years. So I've actually 
dipped in and out of technical roles during that time. I've been a program manager, I've been an account manager, and obviously now in marketing. And I really love this phrase I heard recently coined by a colleague who described his own career as, as being a career mongrel. And um, I was actually quite surprised that someone that was... was a career, a career mongrel. Yeah, career mongrel. Okay. I was like, I thought, because I thought it was a term that Australians used and... Um, you low down, dirty mongrel. <laughs> kind of like that. Or it's kind of like that dog that you uh, adopt from a pound and don't quite know the, uh, you know, the, the line that it's come from. But right. I could... I could totally relate in terms of the the diversity and the types of roles and experiences that we've had in our career. So not um, pinpointing anything in particular, but obviously in my case, I would relate to being technical, but it was nice to have a bit of a broader experience. Um, another nicer way to frame it, I think, is, um, is calling it a squiggly career. So something that uh, Helen Tupper and Sarah Ellis have coined um, and is actually the title of their podcast. Um, but it actually highlights the fact that, you know, fewer careers these days are actually linear. So I could really appreciate that. <laughs> See, that that's really, really interesting because I was actually having this conversation um, uh, a couple of days ago about uh, after we'd had our initial uh, sort of pre-call, just about this idea of sort of having a squiggly career because um, a, a lot of guys I know particularly think very linearly in terms of I start here and I end up here and, and this is and, – and, and I was having that conversation with someone who's uh, who's looking to, um, to to move their career in a certain direction, um, but wasn't quite sure which which direction to take. And we were we were just talking through that. And what was really interesting was was after our conversation, I, I was sort of able to give a slightly different take on it, um, and um, and it and kind of opened my eyes to the idea that actually it doesn't necessarily need to be linear. You know, you know, I, I must get to this role. And then move on to the next one, on to the next one. You can go and sort of follow different different paths as you go. So, um, so no, I, I do like that uh, that term, squiggly. Um, now, uh, when we when we've talked uh, on on the podcast previously, um, I have five things which I think people can do to to help take career uh, take control of their career if they feel that they're coasting or they're not quite sure what to do. And and just a quick recap: it's it's figuring out what you want. Uh, it's coming up with a plan of how to get there. It is then going the extra mile and doing more to achieve what you actually want than you're doing currently. Um, it's finding your community, your your online tribe, your people. Um, doesn't have to be just online; it can be in person. It's just obviously with COVID these days, everyone's. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and then lastly, it, it, it's uh, showing your your knowledge through blogging, vlogging, uh, speaking, doing that sort of thing. Which ones of those tend to resonate more with you, given that you have shifted career um, paths over the last over the last sort of ten years or so? I can I can actually relate to every single one of them, but for all different reasons. Uh, the first one, though, that you mentioned, which I thought was really interesting, was that the premise of like having a plan. Um, mm. And I know we sort of talk about that, like the importance of it, but obviously, if we consider and this is, this is a problem that can happen, though. If I think back, and I would love to tell you, right, that, you know, I've got this well-laid-out plan, it's printed on A3, I've laminated it, and it's stuck on the wall in front of me, but I'd be lying. So um, I look back at some of the situations that I've had to navigate throughout my career. Like I joined a, a dot-com in 1999. Most of us should know how that ended. 
Well, I, 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 that was until I started in recruitment in 1999. Yeah. And, and it was all wonderful for about a year and a half. And then suddenly, yeah. bang, you know. <laughs> exactly. Kind of similar end to the Titanic in a way. But um, I um, I then also, I joined a company, which then, you know, later filed for Chapter 11. I was acquired by another company. I chose to have a family and I've, you know, moved around the world twice. A lot of it because of my husband's career. So, when it came to sort of laying out a plan, so the whole premise of, you know, that kind of linear trajectory, you know, if I had done that, I think I would have been bitterly uh, disappointed. And actually, at some points, I did feel quite frustrated. So what I actually, when I think back, a lot of the decisions I made were based on my circumstances. But there are some, broadly speaking, part of my actual plan was some of the things that you've sort of talked about. But I was, you know, if I think about some of the key characteristics is I, I made sure I was adaptable. So always being aware of like, what are, you know, the important trends that are going on, just making sure that you're across the things that matter in the industry with customers, and particularly with your organization, I think it's really important to be on the pulse with that. And part of that is also, I, I just made sure I was employable. Um, I made sure I had transferable skills, no matter which country I was in, uh, tried to ensure I was relevant. Um, I made sure I was very well connected as well. And we'll, we can touch on that a bit later when we think about um, <clears throat> how important that is and how we, we managed to do it. But um, I also made sure I just enjoyed what I did. I think if you don't enjoy what you do at work, you know, I think there's something wrong there. And I know a lot of us do it because we need to pay for our mortgages, our kids' education, all that kind of stuff. But it's really important for us to enjoy what we do. So having a plan for me was really a bit broader and um, and I've managed to navigate things as uh, successfully as a result, really. Um, but having said that, right, so I have managed to do some amazing stuff, experience a lot of different roles, but I am in a point in my career where in order to, actually there's a saying that says, what got you here won't get you there. So essentially my approach to date has been incredibly effective but in order for me to now to advance, um, I need a more robust plan, right? And so it's actually something I'm currently working on with my manager. I'm working on it with my mentors and I'm beginning it, beginning to socialize it with key stakeholders so that I can consider what my next possible steps are. And that's, I think, the first point that you kind of need to think about is, um, and there are elements to it. And then some of the other things you talked about are really important to, to complement that. So, so in my um, in in my one uh, user group talk that I hawk up and down the country, um, uh, one of the one of the things I talk about is the fact that um, if you think about the technology that you started out working with, that's not going to be the technology that you end up working with at the end of your career. And actually, mm -hmm. the only you know that that someone's real job is about change. It's about being open to change the entire way through their career, and it's a it's about keeping up to date and staying, as you say, on trends um, and making sure that that if there is a technology that's breaking, that's aligned to kind of what you do or it's of interest, that you're part of that to help you to help you grow. Um, given then that that you've that you've moved around uh, in terms of roles um, and countries, um, but uh, over your career, how important for you then is, is is a mindset for learning within within your career? How how important has that been? So you're asking a Microsofty the trillion dollar question <laughs> because it's something that's actually been ingrained in our culture since Satya Nadella became CEO of Microsoft. And I think it's something that I, it's probably a term that I 
didn't really sort of consider until I joined Microsoft. Um, what I find really quite amazing, I actually delivered or facilitated a workshop um, recently, and it's with some of our technical leaders in the organization. And in that, we actually reflected back on a company-wide email that Satch had sent in June of 2015. And this was just before I joined the organization. So I've seen a lot of this change play out in this time. Mm. But in that email, and it is available publicly as well, so he laid out his his vision and his direction for the company moving forward. And in it, he said that um, he actually really set the expectation for us to embrace a growth mindset as a company. And one of the key things, and I love to quote this, he said, we need to always, uh, we need to always be learning and insatiably curious. We need to be willing to lean into uncertainty, take risks and move quickly when we make mistakes. Recognizing failure happens along the way to mastery. And what I love is, uh, I mean, actually, as many of us move along our career journeys, I think it's really important for us to sort of, you know, check in and make sure, mm. like sort of think about what mindset we're in. And for someone who thought they were quite open-minded, there were some things that I was actually quite fixed mindset to, you know, if that's the best word, best, best, good, best way to say God, it. But it's a great word. And I think we're <laughs> fixed mindset Fixed mindset. I, I had a fixed <laughs> mindset before, right? So... I guess there was numerous things, right? And part of it, it's not just learning, but it could be around how you receive feedback or how you request it. I used to hate getting feedback. I used to see it as a sign of failure, but now I kind of, I'm actually so open to it. Um, And actually, because I see it as a chance to grow. But, um, and I find that that sort of mindset's given me the, the courage, right, to take risks, like joining a marketing organization with no marketing experience, mm-hmm. uh, again, solicit feedback. And I always seek opportunities to learn. And I do this, and I love it because I'm supported by the organization, but also it actually fuels what I've had within me, I think, throughout my entire career is that desire to learn. So I do it, I read books. Um, I've actually gotten into Audible quite a lot this year, particularly when I was doing quite a lot of walks, podcasts, and it's interesting. A lot of people would podcast on their commutes, but now we're, you know, we're not really not commuting as much, but mm. um, there's that concept of the virtual commute where maybe you set aside that time in the morning for yourself to invest in yourself. But um, podcasts are great, blogs, white papers, and then you've got the more formal side of things around training and certifications. But there are so many opportunities out there for people to learn. You just need to seek it. And at Microsoft, one of the things that we we, we call it is it's a learn-it-all culture. So it's no longer about knowing everything or, you know, being a know-it-all. It's all about being a learn-it-all. So I know it might be a bit kitschy, but <laughs> it kind of, it's a great description, I think, of the culture that's been instilled in something that I think is absolutely fantastic about um, working for Microsoft. I think I think it's uh, it, it there has been a, a, a marked change within the culture of Microsoft since Satya Nadella took over. You know that that is something which can't be understated, really, because you know even from the outside looking in, you know, in terms of just in terms of diversity and inclusion and and learning, you know, we do see and hear about that from from the outside. Um, your you're kind of a champion for for diversity and inclusion. What do you think are the are the biggest challenges that we face, kind of as an industry for that? Because because it's something which certainly from a recruiter's perspective, we we see coming up again and again and again from customers who are interested in um, 
in, in trying to do more in this space, but frequently there isn't the talent pool available um, to, to be found. So, so what, do you, what, do you, what, what do you think are the biggest challenges then for us as an industry? Well, I'm going to challenge your comment for one. Okay. In terms of the perception of lack of pipeline, but it's interesting because I guess as someone that's, you know, when I think back at even when I was at university throughout my career, you know, often being one of the few women in the room, it's not something I really personally, I just, I've got three older brothers. So it's what I was just used to being surrounded by, um, you know, by men, and and I actually quite like working with men. There's a we have we do have a very similar mindset and some of the things uh, that we we tend to how we approach things. But what I didn't enjoy was some of the situations that um, I happened to find myself in. Um, and I, I guess when I joined Microsoft, because of that culture of you know diversity and particularly inclusion, like it's one thing to be able to bring in diverse talent; it's the other to be able to retain it. And inclusion and belonging is a, is a big part of that, which is a it's a massive organizational transformation that needs to exist. But if we look at the statistics today, right? So I think the latest is something like seventeen percent of women are in technical roles in the UK which is quite sad considering that, you know, women represent 50% of the, the working population. Um, and while a lot of people will say that it's a pipeline problem because there's not enough women, say, graduating from computer science degrees, so there's that been a lot of focus on inspiring girls, like getting in at the time between the age of 11 and 15. We've done a lot of research because we find at that time that their interest tends to drop off. Mm-hmm. And... A lot of that is partially due to stereotypes. So it could be, you know, the language and um, and uh, and such that is used when they're younger. Uh, but also one of the key findings was the lack of visible role models as part of it. So there are programs, there are stack loads of programs out there. Um, even Microsoft itself has DigiGirls, which actually looks to address some of these challenges at that age. And I actually helped support um, launching one of our virtual DigiGirls events recently. Um, but it's going to take several years before we're going to see any impact of those efforts and translate it into our pipeline. I think there's more immediate action that we can take, right? We say that there's a, a pipeline problem um, or that women aren't applying for the particular job roles that we post out there. But in some cases, it's actually you could be looking at the job role or job requisition itself. Like what kind of language is being used and is it inclusive? There's already the statistics out there that suggest that certain language is more masculine and that there are ways that we can alter that to make it more appealing for women to even consider applying. The other thing is remove the endless list of requirements that you put on there because we know, again, statistically that women won't apply for jobs unless they meet 90 to 100% of the criteria that's listed, whereas men will apply if they meet mm, at least 60 of them. We do Um, wing it a lot. We do wing it a lot. Right? Like, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> It'd be interesting for you to reflect on that. But there's, there's also other things, there's uh, statistics around the bias that comes into the screening process, right? So there's uh, efforts we could be making around an- anonymizing CV data. Um, and also, uh, once a woman does go through the interview process, ensure that there's a diverse interview panel as well. So that's, they're just some of the smaller things. But I actually think it's a massive opportunity to encourage career pivots, right? We've talked about squiggly careers. Mm. And I think 
if we remove this whole concept of that linear career, you must have, you know, a degree in computer science, all that type of stuff. We need to be thinking more about the transferable skills that women can bring into technology and also then support them to upskill where it's required. Um, and this also, there's a, also a massive opportunity for, for the women that have taken a career break, right, and are looking to return to work. Mm. Um, some of them, you know, were doing, you know, um, highly skilled jobs in the past. They're incredibly capable. And, and I would argue that um, if they've taken time out to have children, there's some amazing skills that they've learned that they can transfer into the workplace. Um, but there's a huge opportunity for not us not to not only upskill these women, but also then offer them some flexible working arrangements. Um, and I think that's something that organisations should be looking at. And there's a pipeline potential um, around that. So then, okay, so if if I put my recruiter's hat on when it comes to this um, and, and my customer is asking for a technical role, with a set of technical skills, because that's that's what the role needs, mm-hmm. and there aren't those more diverse skills, uh, the, the, those diverse applicants available. What advice would you be giving then to to that hiring manager around how they can support getting more more of a diverse culture into the workplace, given that they're after something quite specific and they may require that. Yeah, but I mean, for one is, is you know, one is, are they screening, are they actually out there, but have they screened them out for whatever reason? Um, you know, is there some, are there some ways that they could be, again, reframing how they position those job roles, but also what are the technical skills and are they, you know, is there an aptitude that they could, could they screen in those individuals that might have the aptitude, maybe they've got some other skills in other areas. I look at things like data science as an example, where mm-hmm. actually if you've got a background in maths and statistics, um, there's a great opportunity for you to move into that space of, of data science. But I guess it does depend on the technical capabilities and what support that you can give them once they on board as well. Um, but there are also things that we are doing in terms of helping women uh, acquire some of those technical skills and certifications as well right so through some of the the training days that we offer we also offer free uh, technical certifications um, but there could be opportunities in terms of job shadowing um, and other types of mentoring that they could offer to help support those women build, you know build the skills that they need to support those particular roles but um, often they're out there and we don't actually try hard enough uh, to seek them or women aren't interested because they're afraid of the um, the fact that they won't re- either receive the support or they don't see other women like them. So I think if the organisation has other females that are in those technical roles as well, the organisation should be, um, you know, should be highlighting them as, as, as role models, ensuring that they're more visible as well. Because that's also, it's not just the job that they do, it's the organisation that they're joining as to whether they feel, will feel like they will be supported. So it goes, it's not just around, you know, bringing them in for that single job. There's everything around that for them too. It is interesting though, because there are some, some things, sometimes women are deterred from certain roles because as a technical consultant, for example, you might be on the road for like four out of five days doing deliveries and deployment. But if we think about the impact that COVID has had in organizations' perceptions of what is actually required um, how many how many of those technical consultants are working remotely now? So is there an opportunity to offer um, 
you know, bring some other individuals in that way, offer them the flexibility that they need. Um, so it's 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 interesting to see how many organisations will, will pivot to be able to provide those flexible working conditions for individuals to encourage them to even consider it as a possibility. So just, just on that point, I mean, most of my customer base tends to be the Microsoft Partner Network. Microsoft won't deal with me, it turns out. Angela, uh, maybe you could uh, maybe you could put in a, put in a word with the big man at the top for me. Um, tell him I liked his book, but um, I uh, but most of the Microsoft partners um, have adopted a. Mu- I mean, they, they've always had home working available. Yeah. But what's been uh, kind of startling over over the last nine months is we're now really not looking geographically. For people, yeah, uh, you know, our, our office is in the southeast, so we need people within an hour of. Generally, you know that yeah. right now it's it's almost unusual to 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 be doing that. And I think that especially during COVID times, nobody wants to have an unfamiliar person walking into an office and spending time there. And I think that this is, you know, as as in other industries, it's driven sort of more flexible work from home type arrangements. I think that's going to be a massive cultural shift to not requiring so many visits to site you know why do you need to travel two or three hours to get to a customer site when you could do the same thing from a from a team's call and everybody's used to it now um so hopefully yeah that will that will then impact then on on people who perhaps have other commitments you know in terms of their family and what have you um absolutely absolutely you've kind of got a couple of hats that you wear um and uh, you've got the community side um, oh, I, I, thought, I thought you were going to say my fedora versus my. Uh, <laughs> you have a fedora. My beret. <laughs> no, wow, this is a this is a level of, that I wasn't that I wasn't comfortable <laughs> with. Oh, you're not referring to. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I've genuinely no idea what you're talking about right now. But <laughs> googling. That's, that's, as soon as this is finished, I'm googling. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. So you've uh, you you. You get paid. You have your day job, which you get paid for, but you also do quite a lot of work from a community perspective. How, how do they tend to relate to each other in, in your mind? Yeah. No. Okay. Besides the uh, what we're talking about, but no, absolutely. So obviously, there's the. I mean, I used to actually see it as the, you know the hat I wear during the day, which is my core role, and then the hat I wear at night, which was a lot of the championing that I would do around diversity and inclusion. Um, but uh, it's interesting to see how the two uh, intersect. Uh, but I guess, you know, as of a few years ago, because of the lack of diversity that I saw and the opportunity to give back, I actually applied for the role to lead uh, women tech initiatives as part of the Women at uh, Microsoft UK board. And as part of that, I've been driving focused initiatives to help attract, retain and develop more women into these technical roles. Um, one of them in particular, and you talk about finding your tribe. So um, we, we actually, and actually I, a few years ago, um, a community, actually it was a networking and learning opportunity, came about through something we call Tech Her. So it was actually designed for women and by women. And it was founded by a Microsoft employee, Jane Pitt, and now we've been working collaboratively to actually build on this, you know, online LinkedIn community. We run, well, what were in-person events are now quarterly online events. And they feature, you know, great talks by amazing women and role models on the latest trends in tech, um, 
And also we've extended, as we talked about before, but a lot of our free training days to these women uh, and which include free certifications. So it's sort of providing a sort of gamut of support that we feel that um, that women really need. And so that's a big part of the, the community aspect that I think is, is really important. So I'm totally on board with finding your tribe. I mean, there's lots of them out there. So you know, women communities are one and actually encourage men to to take part in these as well. They're not solely for women, um, but it's also important, like user groups and meetups. So in the past, I've, I've loved joining a lot of them. I did see a lot of, you know, a lack of diversity in some of them, which I actually pointed out to some of the organizers and some of the MVPs were great at responding to that and started to create, um, you know, codes of conduct and, um, and also in inviting more women to be a part of it and ensure that they, they feel like they're, you know, included within that community. Um, I feel like the Dynamics uh, 365 community do a fantastic job. You know, they even mm. think about running their communities on a Saturday, which I know is a bit different. But, you know, when we run these meetups in the evenings, you know, we, we preclude a part of the, um, you know, the demographic that, kind of need to go home and tend to, you know, their default is often to, you know, take care of the kids. So it's, it can be quite, and again, this is generalizing because not everybody's in this situation, but it can be various reasons when we, where we might um, preclude particular individuals by the decisions of how we run some of these meetups. Um, so it's, it's great to sort of see some uh, flexibility and uh, variety in that. Um, but what I found, so in the past, whereas it might've been two hats worn at different times, I've actually found in my current role, I find them both to be more tightly integrated. And I love the fact that I'm able to incorporate my passion into uh, not only a more inclusive approach to how we, we do marketing, but also where we start to think about how we make sure we've got, say, a diverse range of speakers at our events so we can ensure that we're more representative of our customers out there. And one of the things... Um, that I'm actually working on, you know, alongside uh, one of the roles I have as chairing the Microsoft Speakers Club to help people improve their speaking skills is we're also looking at a specific uh, program to help women develop their speaking skills, which will ultimately allow us to help them elevate their voices, which I think we need to see more of. Uh, I, th I think that's massively important, um, th that ability to, to speak in public is something which... Um, uh, one of my very close friends is a is a is a professional speaker, speaking coach for sea level people through to and he, he and he does a variety of different things globally and initiatives globally. Um, and one of the one of the impacts that that he has seen of the work that he's done is that there's far more recognition um, of these diverse groups. Um, particularly, he works uh, he does some work in uh, the Middle East and and so helping women there speak from a business perspective uh, at conferences. Uh, he, he does sort of specific coaching there. And he says it's been it's been phenomenal to see the difference from sort of the beginning to the end of, the, of that, that sort of coaching session. And then, you know, the feedback and the impact that those that those talks have. And, and that kind of leads into uh, into the, the whole, and I shudder when I say this, personal brand uh, <laughs> element. Um, because, you know, you, you are, I feel, have, have, a, a, have, have a strong personal brand. Um, how important has that been to your career development? And then, you know, how did you sort of go about developing developing that? Uh, I guess similar to you, right? I think prior to joining Microsoft, I, I 
didn't rate it much or didn't really think about it so much. But about four years ago, I started to realize how important it was. And I mean, initially, I used LinkedIn as an online CV, which is great, Mm. but or I'd only use it to connect with people after I left an organization. Um, After a little while, I actually started to use it as a source of news, uh, information, you know, you start to keep track of where people are moving to. Um, I started to post a little bit and I realized, okay, this is a platform where I might share some information. But if I just reshared posts, I found that I got very little engagement. And then I, I think it was there was a point in time where I started to actually create and share original content and actually started to share points of view. And I started to notice that some of the things I was sharing, particularly those that were a bit more authentic, were actually starting to gather interest. And I slowly be, you know, began to get a following. And it's funny, right? Because you don't think, well, I don't know. I'm sure really lo- everybody loves your 12 days of Christmas tips. <laughs> well, you say that. I'm surprised. <laughs> Uh, you know, the, the viewing figures are way down this year, believe me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they'll increase after this. But I don't know, <laughs> you, you do wonder, right? You go, I'm not sure if anyone's going to find what I've got to say interesting um, until you start to receive, hopefully, like positive feedback, reinforcements, yeah. like that type of thing. And I actually found that as I started to share more and I increased the engagement, it actually led to more um, opportunities to speak. So I've not only had a chance to speak on topics and a lot of it was around Microsoft Teams because I was a Teams technical specialist. Um, But I also found because of my approach to personal brand and, and, and digital selling, actually, I actually got opportunities to speak on that as well. But my speaking opportunities led to me being able to speak at Microsoft Ready in Seattle and, and Las Vegas. Uh, so it was it was because I was visible to the worldwide community that they that I actually these opportunities presented itself, which were amazing. Um, but what I and there are ways if you sort of think about well, how effective is this, right? How effective is your engagement? So there are metrics that we tend to look at. I know one of the things I use is my social selling index in LinkedIn Sales Navigator for those that have unlocked that. Um, but what really hit me was when I was actually at a Microsoft event, an internal Microsoft event at uh, in Las Vegas, and I had someone who I. I didn't know personally, apparently followed me on LinkedIn. They actually came up to me to thank me for the the post that I shared because they found the information so valuable. And I also started to notice my customers commenting on my posts and they'd also reference it within the meeting. So I then realized that that sort of personal branding was also a great digital selling tool. So I just, yeah, so it's, I do, uh, try and keep a, a balance, right? So it's important that we don't lose sight of of the platform and start to m- misuse it, um, and also ensure that whatever it is we are sharing, you know, does reflect back on your reputation. Um, and it's also important to to really be authentic in that approach um, in terms of what we share online. But it has made personally, I found it's it's made a big difference. And I mean, if you think of how we met, right? So. We've only ever met once in person, and um, I know I knew all about you before I saw. I actually knew who you were, knew what you looked like, knew about your bad jokes. I um, <laughs> whoa, come on, <laughs> I mean, I mean, <clears throat> no, but um, 
I knew about your sense of humor, I should say, and but I knew about your reputation online, right? And and vice versa. And mm. even since then, right, we've maintained that contact online. So it's a fantastic tool to maintain connection with individuals. Uh, whereas the opportunities, particularly now, aren't present to actually meet up in person as much as we might have in the past. Yeah, I I, you know, I, I, I totally agree. I think there, there was a there was a period where um, where I was writing about stuff on LinkedIn um, because I didn't have any other options because uh, they, they didn't have video. And I was talking to, to Tom Arbuthnot, one of his user groups, and he was saying, you've really got to, you've got to start doing videos. And I was just like, I would mm-hmm. love to start. This is, this is me. Um, and, um, but I, did, I didn't have the functionality. And about six months later, I got that. And I started doing usually fairly tongue in cheek or poorly thought out videos <laughs> with questionable humor thrown in. Um, and um and and it was weird i was at future decoded uh like the following year and and people were smiling at me and i was just sitting there going what have i done <laughs> um and, you know, I, I had people smiling and someone came up and said have we worked together before and i was like i i, I don't think so i'm a recruiter uh because he thought i worked for microsoft i was like no uh, yeah they wouldn't have me um and um and and and, I, and he said oh you're the video guy and that was that was at that moment it suddenly you know it, it was kind of like okay there is a little validation going on here for the mm-hmm. fact that you know, I'm out there putting myself out there but i think that original content thing that you that you mentioned is absolutely critical um because you won't get engagement for sharing what else someone else has done um and i think that that, that the only time that that you properly get people in, interested is when you have an opinion and you're looking to and you're looking to share it um and i think that 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 side of, of certainly linkedin has been very important twitter for me has been has been important i don't know how you found that um although i, t- I don't really do much on twitter that's that's work related like it's usually me sharing pictures of me walking somewhere or cooking um <laughs> but yeah i don't know have you have you had much interaction with twitter I find it, to be honest with you, I find it a bit overwhelming. Uh, that's just, that's, and I, some people, and this is it, I guess there are so many different platforms out there and it's important to choose to choose the right ones for you. And I think Twitter's great for those short sound bites. Um, in the moment, I used to attend quite a lot of the Ignite and Ignite Tour conferences and some of the people I work with are fantastic at grabbing quotes that people would say in some of the sessions, you know, snap a picture, grab a quote post. I'm like, my brain does not work that fast. I'm the type of person that needs to take it all in and reflect. And then you'll probably find I'll do more of a long form post that summarizes stuff because that's how I think. So I find LinkedIn for me, it has been one of the, the, well, it just, it suits my style a bit better. Um, I'm not moved into, I've not explored so much the avenue or medium of video yet, but I actually totally agree that it's really, I think that's a really valuable um, way to get your message across. I think we need to consider multiple formats, right? So some like written, some like audio, right? Uh, But others like video. And I think it's really important to have a cross section of those two to really get your message across. So we're sort of coming towards the end of our time. Um, if you could give one piece of advice uh, to someone that would help them kind of level up their career or take control of it, what would that what would that be? One or two things. So if I think about this and I reflect myself, but ignore fancy titles of what you think you should be doing. 
mean, don't use that as the basis of what you think you should do next. I think it's really important to consider what are you good at and what gives you energy. Those two things are super important. And then consider the possibilities that might align to this, right? And that can sometimes go beyond just looking at the the title and the job description because how sometimes they don't always match the actual job that you do. Like spend some time to learn more about the different roles that are out there. Speak to someone that might be in it already to find out what are the core parts of, of that job to consider whether it's a possibility. And then think about what skills that you might need, maybe what certifications, what experience you need to be actually then considered for that role, <clears throat> particularly if it's a step up, right? So and, and then you need to document it, right? Put it into what your career plan looks like. Document it and then socialize it. If people don't know what it is that you're aspiring for, it's really hard for them to think about you or consider you. Um, and I, I guess some of this is from an internal point of view. If you're in an organization and looking to move or or looking to be promoted, for example, but this could also be without, within the industry. And then if you haven't already, sign up a mentor. Um, I can't stress this enough in terms of you know, having that person that you can bounce some of your thoughts, ideas, and ideally challenge you as well in some of your thinking. And then once you've identified the roles that you're interested, seek sponsors that can actually advocate you. So do consider those that could you know, speak on your behalf to uh, you know, advocate for the experience that you've had, the, um, you know, the attributes that you um, have that would be great for that particular role. So I know that's more than one point, but it's all part of if you really want to be successful in attaining that next step, um, that, that's absolutely what I would recommend. So so figure out what you want, tell people yep. about it, yep. and then find people who will speak for you in that area to help you get those sorts of opportunities. So that, that, that last point is, is something which I hadn't considered particularly. That's fascinating because so, so often there is the feeling that that you've got to do all this yourself. And actually, and I guess it comes back to 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 finding those people in the community and networking with them, but but specifically finding people who are in your corner, who are fans and who are, who want to help you move forwards could be a, well, would be a massive help um, for people who are looking to to either take that next step or move into something something different. Well, thank you. Bossy Angela for, for, <laughs> for coming on the show. It's been absolutely fascinating. Um and um You've, I've had some genuinely new insights into into uh, a whole range of things. So thank you so much for coming on. And um, if I uh, if I don't speak to you before, I should be looking forward to, to to seeing that enormous smile on LinkedIn coming through again from from some event when you haven't broken your leg or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure, Will. Thank you so much for inviting me along, and I'm excited to hear about the rest of the tips as we lead up to Christmas. Well, I couldn't. I couldn't load yesterday's due to a technical error, so I'm recycling that today. And uh, and and then I've got to find another. Oh, I don't know, four next week. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, and um, and uh, I will hope to speak to you in the very near future. Thank you. Have a good one. When we look at Angela's background, she has followed a, a again a fairly traditional uh, route through technology degree into working for a number of vendors. Uh, the very interesting thing for, for Angela is that she has moved from uh, Australia to America to the UK. So that gives her a much broader range of experiences. She has been someone who has engaged through the, the tech community. What is apparent is that 
she's somebody who certainly has found her passion. And that passion is very much around diversity and inclusion, and particularly helping uh, women within technology. And what is wonderful to see is that that her career now includes both elements. Um, so often I, I speak to people uh, who have a passion for something and it's something that they're doing almost outside of work. But the fact that she is now able to to link that into her day job as well is is phenomenal. I hope you've enjoyed the session. I hope that that moving forward as we as we come towards 2021, that uh, that everybody has a great Christmas and New Year. Um, and I will look forward to speaking to you on the flip side, as the as the youth say. Uh, this has been Careering Out of Control podcast. Uh, if you're interested in hearing more about our other podcasts, you can go to www.careeringoutofcontrol.com or you can search for us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts. There are so many. But this has been episode six of Careering Out of Control podcast. I've been Will Rowe, uh, and uh, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing and speaking to you all in the new year.